Hey y'all, this is Lance Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 14 and 26 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker lets me fire off my hot take about Derrick Rose, and then we talk about how the team is handling Sekou Dumbuya and exiling Andre Drummond to basketball Siberia. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm doing good. To all of our Michigan listeners, hope you all stayed safe with the uh, winter storm that kind of barreled its way through Michigan. Wasn't too bad in Lansing, but I was ready, man. I, I got my generator. I, w- I was ready to go. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone stayed safe, and I, I'm guessing you didn't have to deal with any of that down south your way. No, you? no, we did not. It was uh, it was 50 degrees, and I did not need the jacket I had on when I walked the dog earlier today. Oh, that's nice. It was it was quite nice, I will admit. And you know, it was hot, and I got a little bit of a, a hot take to start the podcast. Segway, I like Segway. it. My my hot take is that uh, Derrick Rose is bad for this team. He's playing too much, and I hope he's traded sooner rather than later. I say that despite the fact that we got a report earlier this week from Bleacher Reports' Eric Eric Pincus, I hope I'm pronouncing, pronouncing that right, that Detroit won't trade Derrick Rose unless he asks to be traded. That is not the best situation for this team long term. So reason number one, I got the hot take. Uh, in addition to Rose being playing too much, it's like now that the season is about the kids, Rose, like by his style of play, is like enabling not getting the kids enough reps. Like earlier this year, we were talking about Rose taking the ball out of Blake Griffin's hands and how uncomfortable we were with that. We grew to be more comfortable with that as he, as we saw that Blake Griffin like wasn't able to play up to the level he played last season. It's like okay. Like the purpose is to win games. Like Derrick Rose can help you do that. It's like, sure, give him the ball down the stretch of games. Now is like we got we got to a point where like the season is no longer about how many games you're winning. It's about getting guys like Bruce, guys like Seku, guys like Luke Kennard when he comes back. Those crunch time reps, those uh, those possessions with the ball in their hands, and like that's going to result in some failure. But like because Rose isn't a long-term part of this team, like it does not necessarily matter uh, whether or not you succeed or fail uh, this season uh, with those possessions. And like this is who Derrick Rose is. Like I'm not blaming him for being him being the player that he that he is. But that does bring me to the second reason for my hot take is that he's playing like entirely too much, and Dwayne Casey's kind of to blame for that. He's breaking the previous rule they had earlier this season about 
how many minutes uh, they were playing Rose uh, in a single game. Um, Rose hadn't played 30 minutes at all this season. And then he played 29 minutes, 30, 35, and another 29 minutes in the four games this week. Uh, if Rose gets hurt, you're, you're, you can't trade him. You can't get anything of value for him. And like he's not contributing to your team on the floor either. So, Ben, how, how flames is my take? <laughs> well, I tell you what, Laz, if uh, that's a hot take, we're burning up together because I'm totally 100% on board with you on this one. And really, this is something we've been hinting at really over the last several weeks. Uh, so, so let's just totally go out there. And th- this is the DBB podcast hot take. We're together on this one. I really like your point about what does it mean for Derek Rose to be um, the guy who's taking away possessions from guys like Bruce Brown, from guys like Seku, et cetera. It's a good observation. Um, you know, typically the reason you would uh, use if you're coaching and you don't want to play a guy like Seku or a guy like Bruce Brown late in the games, cause you're trying to avoid losing, right? Well, two points there, right? First of all, we saw some close games this week. And uh, we saw the Derrick Rose choke fest <laughs> clutch time uh, come into play uh, a couple different times, right? So, you know, Derrick Rose was obviously very good in most of those games. So down the stretch made some critical errors. And look, Derrick Rose is who he is. He's not going to improve on those things. And the Pistons don't need him to. So that excuse sort of goes right out the window, right? Because you'd rather see guys like Seku or Bruce or, you know, fill in the blank, one of those Pistons young guys get the chance to make those mistakes and learn from them. Right. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you. And then to the point about injury, you're 100% correct there as well. Um, it, it's really hard for me to believe that there isn't a trade market for Derek Rose right now. His contract is so reasonable given the level of production uh, he's producing right now. Uh, he's really been a force offensively. It doesn't seem to matter who they're playing, right? I mean, it could be someone as bad as the Bulls or it could be someone like a playoff team. He's getting to his spot basically at will, getting to the rim just about whenever he wants. Um, You know, I haven't narrowed it down to a specific team yet, but I just have to imagine that any playoff team out there would love to add a guy like Derek Rose to their bench. So the more the Pistons play him, the more of an offensive load and minute load they give to him, the higher the risk goes up that they're going to do something, uh, do something really bad for the franchise because we've seen Rose's injury history. We know what risk it entails there and he's getting older and I get guys get older, their injury risk gets higher. So I'm 100% on board with you on this one. I think the Pistons ought to trade him as soon as they possibly can. You know, a few weeks ago, I was thinking maybe matching salary in a second rounder for Rose, but he continues to produce and continues to be a sort of an offensive force off the bench. I'm at the point where really I'd be willing to take back a little bit of bad money if it means getting a first rounder for Derrick Rose. Uh, so I'm all for that. And then, you know, this idea that the Pistons are not going to trade Derrick Rose unless he asks for a trade. Yikes. If that's the mentality of the front office right now, uh, on DBB in the comments, there's this AIF floating around. Like, And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, if that's the mentality of the front office, then yeah, everything is is definitely F. That's about all I can say to that. Yeah, I 
there's definitely like some element of the Pistons are trying to gain respectability around the league. And like part of that is signing Derrick Rose in the first place, a guy who is uh, thought of highly around the league with the uh, Tellum connection. Part of that is, uh, I guess, if if he wants to be here, not trading him is also part of establishing relationships. But like another part of being a good team is just maximizing your the resource uh, allocation. And like right now, we have other point guard options. We have other ball handling options available to the team and like those options would be better served like getting the reps Derrick Rose is currently getting like that's not even including whatever you would get back in a trade for him if it's if it's a non-lottery first round pick if it's an early second round pick and and uh another contract like maybe uh like maybe the contract uh, that you'd pick up in the Derrick Rose trade is not super appealing but you use that to get something else like later in the trade deadline, right? Like there, there are so many ways kind of around this thing. And part of it does fall on the front office, but uh, I think the, the bulk of this kind of falls on Dwayne Casey to me, Dwayne Casey in playing Derek Rose, you know, the in playing him 35 minutes in giving him the ball and saying like, go out and get it and, and win the game for us. Um, he's definitely coaching like a coach who thinks his job is on the line. If they don't uh, win as much as possible when I don't think that can be the criteria for this season, right? Like I understand why he might think that way. Uh, The, he wasn't brought in to coach a rebuild Um, teams when they begin a rebuild, usually change coaches to someone younger and more focused on player development. You think of your, your Brett Browns, your Lloyd Pierce's, your Kenny Atkinson's, and but the front office has to tell him like, hey, like not playing Seku down the stretch of a close game is what's going to get you fired. Not losing a game because you played Seku down the stretch and he made a mistake. Like you have to make that delineation kind of clear to Dwayne. And like, who knows if they'd had that conversation or, or not, right? But like, I've I've openly pondered this multiple times over the course of the week, like. I, I don't know if, if you want to rebuild, like I'm not entirely sure that like Dwayne Casey is the best coach for that. What do you think, bud? Well, totally fair que- uh, question. Totally fair uh, position to take. It's clear the Pistons aren't where they thought they'd be. Right. I mean, uh, it, it's pretty clear that even with Blake Griffin coming back a year from now, they're not where they thought they'd be given the situation with Andre Drummond, uh, given that Reggie Jackson's contract expires pretty obvious they're going to be in a rebuild. That's obviously not what Dwayne Casey signed up for. I, I think you're right. I mean, I sort of battle this as I'm watching the Pistons as a fan right now as well. Like intellectually in my head, I mean, I know that it really doesn't matter if they beat the Bulls down the stretch or if they beat the Cavs down the stretch or whatever. And in fact, you can make the case they ought to be losing, but still, you know, as a fan, all of my instincts are to cheer them on and to see them win. And I can only imagine what that's got to be like for Dwayne Casey as a coach right there in the moment, uh, invested in the team. You know, I, I imagine that's a battle for him. I can't imagine it would be easy to sort of mentally almost throw in the towel, right? And say, yeah, we're not going to worry about winning. We're going to worry about uh, developing these, those young guys. I can only imagine that's a difficult um, mental adjustment to make, you know, given the reason he was brought on board. No, absolutely. 
And so even to, to go a little bit deeper into, uh, into player development, we had a, the unveiling of, a, of an axiom by uh, DBB's own Sean Corp uh, this week. Uh, Sean tweeted out, in a rebuild, you can play a bunch of young guys around a veteran point guard, or you can play a young point guard around some smart vets. But if you go young everywhere, you're asking for trouble and you're stalling your player's development. Ben, what do you think of the uh, the new axiom from Sean? Yeah, so first of all, Sean has one of the all-time great Twitter profile picks. So if you're not following Sean, go check it out. Uh, if you're a Pistons fan who's been around for a while, you're, you're definitely going to appreciate it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Um, yeah, about this maxim, intuitively, this makes a ton of sense to me. Um, all of my instincts say, yeah, you want to have the right mix of youth and mentorship. Um, you don't want to just go totally... Uh, into a youth movement. It can be demoralizing. It can be frustrating. I mean, look at the Cavs, for example, right? Like what we saw with, you know, the Kevin Love situation. Um, I'm not sure if that was the end of last week or early this week, but you can certainly get frustration and it it can be counterproductive. So I certainly get where Sean is coming from. Um, But putting in practice, I'm not 100% sold on it. Um, I think If you look at a team like, as a for example, the Philadelphia 76ers, in the 16-17 season, they won 28 games. In 17-18, they won 52 games. You know, Ben Simmons is obviously a a big part of that. Uh, He started 81 of the 81 games he played in at 21 years old, uh, obviously playing the point guard position. So, you know, to Sean's point, in fairness, they... Uh, did have veterans throughout that roster who were key contributors. There's no question about it. It's not as if they were a 100% youth movement. Uh, But they did really hand the reins over to a pretty young point guard, and and they were very successful. Uh, And and to be fair, again, to Sean, maybe the Sixers aren't the best uh, team to use as an example. They've had some pretty incredible draft luck. They really were the first team to totally tank in order to take advantage of the draft. We know how all of that history went. And really the Pistons have been pretty terrible about getting point guards <laughs> over the last, what, 12 years now. Um, so we, we have to take that into consideration as well. So, yeah, I mean, I get where Sean is coming from, but I don't think you have to be necessarily scared about um, a young point guard. If the Pistons have the opportunity to do that, then then absolutely do that. Um, you know, Blake Griffin is a guy who I think um, Sean would point to as potentially a guy who could play that role, even though he doesn't play the point guard position. You know, he and I have talked about this a little bit over Twitter over the last month where, you know, I personally am of the opinion that his contract is really prohibitive to a rebuild. And Sean's position was, well, you know, if if the Pistons can't get rid of him when he's an expiring contract, then the worst case scenario he's, is he's a guy who's a veteran who can show the way to the young guys, the Pistons, um, you know, acquire over the next year or two. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe that's the way the Pistons do work things out. But um, I wouldn't be as opposed to a youth movement as Sean is. And there's one more reason why, in addition to Blake Griffin, uh, a year from now, Bruce Brown is going to be going into his third season with basically a full season of point guard under his belt. Uh, Luke Kennard's going to be going into his fourth season um, with, you know, obviously some injury concerns this year, but when he's been healthy, carrying a pretty significant load of the offense. 
Um, Pistons are going to have some other veterans if they don't trade them all away. Um, so I, I wouldn't be totally opposed to going a little younger than it seems like Sean might want to. Um, but there certainly is some value to having those few key veterans who can mentor your guys, show them the ropes. I mean, look, none of us know what it's like to live on the road in the NBA. It's just one really easy example. Having some guys of high character, high locker room, um, high basketball IQ, all of that kind of st- stuff certainly has some value. Yeah, I th- I'm thinking even, I agree with everything you just said. And even just like from an on the floor perspective, right, you want uh, we, we see lineups with like Christian Wood playing center and how scrambled those lineups can be defensively because like Wood is inexperienced at, you know, calling out coverages and, and telling guys where to be being that backline defender. Um, having another quarterback on the floor like a Blake Griffin would like definitely be beneficial to Wood if if uh, if Blake were able to play. And so I think it's important that you have veterans who are not necessarily as expensive as Blake is, because again, like that that is prohibitive to a rebuild. Having multiple Blake size contracts on your team does not lend itself well to being a rebuilding team. Uh, however, you you need more guys like like Tony Snell, who who know their role, who have been NBA players for a long time, and who know you know are able to execute the scheme on the floor. You know, you look at the you look at the opposite side of that. You look at the flip side of that. Uh, you, we've talked a lot about the Hawks uh, fairly recently because they're an Andre Drummond trade destination, but like they have still I think only won like eight games. And they're rolling out lineups with like all first and second year players. And like, that is why they are losing because generally first and second year players like are not very good. And so it also helps to uh, not poison the morale of a locker room when you have those veteran guys helping you facilitate some winning, not like winning at a high level, but like some baseline level of, of competency. Um, uh, that's the thing I worry about the most this year, honestly, um, is that we'll we'll get the some dreaded like players only meetings. We know the Pistons have a terrible track record of once a year they get the they get the players only meeting and everything goes to hell uh, immediately thereafter. Um, you know that's those are generally born out of you know the five game losing streak, the seven game losing streak, the you know losing eight of ten games, um, and so you like to you like to be able to. Uh, have some experience on the floor to uh, help you not lose eight of 10 games. And that same experience in the locker room will prevent guys from getting too high or too low, like over the course of a season. So I, I really like that, uh, that maxim, that, uh, that axiom from, from Sean. Good job well, think, on that, Sean. Yeah. And I think one of the points um, is there's definitely a mentality shift involved in this as well. So if you're a rebuilding team, you know you're a rebuilding team. Everyone else in the NBA knows you're a rebuilding team. I think what you want to try to do is bring in veterans who also understand that and are willing to buy into that role. 
right? So it's hard for me to imagine, for example, that that's the kind of role that Blake Griffin would really want to embrace wholeheartedly. Like, totally fair, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't want to be here when the teams win in fifteen games or twenty games this season. So I think the front office is going to have to be realistic in negotiations. Like you know, like a guy like Vince Carter, for example, right? Like he's not going to contribute much on the floor this season, but he wants to be part of the NBA. He wants to set the records, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's the kind of guy who I think makes a lot of sense for a rebuild. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so while we're, while we're talking about rebuild, let's get to the, the good part of the rebuild. Let's get to Seku watch. Uh, so Seku started every game this week. He's averaging 12 points and five rebounds in his six starts, shooting 47% from the floor, 40% from three and 71% from the line in those six starts, just that's just the six starts. I know he's shooting less than 40% from three on the season, uh, but he's also fouling 4.5 times a game, which is, which is way too many foul trouble is the reason it's uh, it started to limit his playtime. He only played uh, 19 minutes in the second Cleveland game. Uh, ben, how are you feeling about the way Seku's being handled by the team right now? Uh, so mostly like it. We talked a little bit about um, end-of-game situations already, so I won't rehash all of that. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to letting him play through the foul trouble, though, to be honest, maybe in the first half. Obviously, you don't want him to foul out or anything, but he's going to have to learn to play with fouls if, if he's going to continue to foul like this. But long-term, not at all concerned about those fouls. He's 19 years old, youngest player in the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you, you, got, you, you just got to learn how to defend in the NBA without fouling. That's part of what it means to become an NBA veteran. Uh, things I really like about Seku, um, athleticism. Wow, I mean, he just he Ooh. murdered Tristan Thompson this week. Holy cow! I mean, when's the last time we saw a young Pistons player get up like that in a regular season game and finish? I mean, I, I, I honestly can't remember. Um, you like the shooting, I think. Um, that's you know the three point shot is not something rookies tend to do very well, regardless of how good they were or were not. Uh, in their collegiate or overseas experience. So you like that in big minutes, he's shooting the ball well. The other thing I like is his handle. He's actually much better off the dribble than I would have thought, especially this early in his career. Makes makes a few mistakes, right? Like if he gets, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily get an open look off the dribble. He, he kind of gets a little flustered, but that's understandable. Uh, and then I think the last thing that I'm super interested in over the course of the season is, what position does he gravitate toward, right? So what is his natural position? Is he a three or is he a four? Or maybe he is one of those legit hybrids who can do both well, which I think is super rare. Um, a lot of times being a tweener three, four is actually a bad thing, but uh, maybe Seku has the ability to do a little bit of both, um, you know, in a big lineup plays three, uh, in a small lineup plays four. He seems to be capable of rebounding. Uh, you know, when he needs to. I know five rebounds in his starts isn't super impressive, but uh, he seems to get after it a little bit, which I appreciate. So I'm I'm overall pretty pleased. Um, I'd like to see him play in crunch time. I'd like to get, give him a chance, especially in the first half, to play through foul trouble. But I absolutely love that they've started him uh, and that they're committed to getting him some minutes. What are your thoughts about that, Laz? Uh, I also kind of wonder about the, the tweener-ness of him. Um, he has the ability to attack from the perimeter, which is 
really valuable from both of those spots. And so it really is going to come down to whether or not he's more comfortable defending threes or fours. You are who you can defend. And, you know, so far he's and so far he's been pretty good defensively. Actually, he's held up against the likes of like Kawhi Leonard and, and LeBron James and Draymond Green. Um, the the other thing that I really like is that, like you mentioned, the athleticism. Uh, I was I was thinking it over and uh, the, the some of the guys in, on the board were also kind of mulling it over. And the last Pistons player we thought of, like with that kind of athleticism was like Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, my is, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is forever ago, right? It it has been a long time. I know Sean tweeted out the number of uh, of dunks a Pistons rookie has had in a season, and oh, like, Se- yeah, that's right. <laughs> Seku's like already passed Stanley for like yeah. fifth, and it's just kind of ridiculous. And so I'm extremely happy that they finally have uh, a wing sized wing with the kind of athleticism Seku has. Uh, the fouling. I could I could do without. It is going to be really important for him to learn how to play through foul trouble. Um, but he's taken a couple of uh, like the European style transition fouls where you you foul to stop a, tra- a fast break. Like those, I don't like those fouls just in general. Like it's not it's not worth it in my mind, especially for a kid who like you want to see on the floor. Um, the the other thing that I don't really love is that. He can kind of uh, float in and out of games. And it is good that, like, as a rookie, he's not necessarily trying to dictate his own offense. You, like, you very rarely see him, like, call for the ball and, like, isolate on somebody, like, try, like, 15 dribble moves and, like, cough up an 18-footer. And, like, not having that mentality is extremely valuable. Like, not uh, – you don't have to beat that out of him, which is which is really good. I mean, but the flip side of that is, like, there can be entire, like, four-minute stretches where you can forget he's on the floor at all on offense. You know, part of that is the, the Pistons running a lot of, uh, like, high pick and rolls with their point guards, whether that be Bruce or Derek. You know, part of that is um, – him like the the offense is not structured in such a way to get him like elbow touches or anything like that he's most and like during those stretches he's like hanging out in the corner like waiting for skip passes which is good because he can make those shots but you you do kind of want to see what he has to offer in the way of like being an attacker in the pick and roll right like operating as as the ball handler in the pick and roll um you you do you don't necessarily like want to see him like bust out the isolation moves, but like if he gets a mismatch in the post, we saw him uh, post up one of the calves for an and one a couple times. Like I would like to see more of that. He's he's six nine, and uh, one of the things that uh, people talk about is how surprisingly strong he is. Like for for his youth, I would like to see that like leveraged slightly more often, if at all possible. And uh, and yeah, that's that's and the rebounding. Uh, I like to see him attack the offensive glass a little bit more. That's something I definitely think uh, he's going to have more space to do when, uh, when Andre Drummond is no longer a part of this team. But uh, I'm curious to see how that, how that uh, goes out. It's, it's odd to have a guy like attack the offensive glass, like from, from the wing. And so uh, I'm always curious to see like, if that aspect, uh, if a, like if an odd aspect of a game can be like nurtured and developed, it can give you, and an unexpected advantage or an advantage that people just like aren't used to defending, which is uh, which is always good. 
All right. Uh, speaking of Andre Drummond, maybe not being a piston, we got a uh, we got our latest Andre Drummond trade rumor uh, this week. We got a new possible destination for Dre, the the New York Knicks. Uh, it was rumored that uh, they were after the French lottery pick uh, Frank Nilakina and Julius Randle. Uh, no picks involved in anything like that. Um, and uh, I forget exactly which team said no to that. But uh, that was the that was the rumored construct of a trade like uh, for Andre Drummond. Ben, do the Knicks have anything you would want in an Andre Drummond trade? All right, so I'm going to answer your question by not totally answering your question and hope you don't hold <laughs> against me. All right, I got two things to say about Andre to the Knicks. First one is I realize Andre Drummond is a polarizing player, but I, I hope that it's not too controversial to say I really don't think Andre Drummond deserves to get traded to the Knicks unless for some reason he really wants to get traded there. I mean, almost nobody deserves to get traded to the Knicks. They are a historically dysfunctional franchise. And look, I just, I would wish that on very few NBA players. The only piston I can think of that I'd ever wish that on is Josh Smith, right? Like, I just don't think he deserves that. If you choose free agency, like if you're a free agent and you choose the Knicks, then that's on you. But I don't feel like Andre Drummond deserves that. The second thing I want to say is, um, and it's related to the point you made earlier about Derrick Rose, if you're trying to build um, as a front office some level of respect because of the way you treat players after you acquire them, I don't feel like trading Drummond to the Knicks in his contract season necessarily um, establishes a whole lot of credibility and respect for you. So I, I look, I really, as a fan of Andre Drummond want to see him go to a good situation and even having to spend just the rest of this, even, even, even if he opts out and goes somewhere else, I, I, it hurts me to think that he's going to that stinking franchise. Um, so, so that's really what I want to say about it. Um, to your point about, do the Knicks have anything we want? I'm not particularly interested in Julius Randall. I don't know a whole lot about Nilakina, or I never say his name correctly. I apologize for that. No, that was um, good. Um, I, I honestly, I'd really like to see a pick come back um, because I, I think the Pistons really need guys who are two years away rather than a year away. Uh, given that we've got Blake Griffin's contract, so I, yeah, I'm not super interested in this for all of the above reasons. Yeah, that's that's totally understandable. That is a good point that uh, and one I hadn't like fully considered about like sending people to basketball Siberia is like not the way you build relationships <laughs> across the league. Basketball Siberia. That is fantastic. Laz. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. But, uh, but the, the Knicks do have like one or two semi interesting pieces. Um, they have, you know, Dennis Smith jr. Is a guy I've talked about in this podcast yeah, before. Yeah. Um, and he, there was some interest rumored that I think Vince Ellis tweeted out that he had fans, uh, in the, in the Pistons front office. Um, he's a guy who I, I kept an eye on early this season and was being utilized poorly under the, uh, the David Fisdale, the fired head coach in New York. I don't really know if he's being utilized better uh, in New York now. Um, I haven't, I haven't kept up on that homework you haven't kept up on the knicks last come on (laughs) i I have found better things to do (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he he's a guy who definitely still intrigues but like you are not trading andre drummond to the knicks to get dennis smith like dennis smith is no longer an asset at this point so like that that's not enough to build a trade around 
Um, Neil Akina has also like flashed the occasional um, point guardy moments. It, it looks like his destiny is not as a as an NBA point guard, but as a like combo wing who can defend three positions, which is which is a valuable player. Um, but the offensive limitations are kind of always the thing with him. And then uh, Kevin Knox, <laughs> I read a funny tweet from uh, I wish I could remember, but someone said like it's really unfortunate that Kevin Knox. Uh, he was a developmental player who went to one of the worst developmental Ugh. situations in the league. And so like this outcome was entirely predictable, but it just like sucks for him as a career uh, and, and, you know, as an NBA player, he's still relatively young. Um, I have no idea what his value would be among the, the Knicks front office. Um, but again, like you, you're not trading Andre Drummond, like for Kevin Knox at the, at this point in his career either. Um, the Julius Randle thing was a little weird. Um, Randle and Blake Griffin are quite similar, and you, I don't really know how that pairing would work. I don't really think that that pairing would work. Yeah, uh, it's bizarre. So yeah, that that never made sense to me. Um, when I was thinking about, you know, when I was formulating Andre Drummond trades to the Knicks, I was thinking somewhere like closer to like one of the one or two of the young guys I just mentioned. And like Bobby Portis, who makes fifteen dollars, fifteen million dollars a year, and like so that's enough salary to to get you there. And like maybe some of the the future firsts that they got from the Dallas Mavericks and the in the Kristaps Porzingis trades, maybe something like that could work. But yeah, I, I uh, and I don't know why, but I don't know why the Knicks would do that because I don't think Andre Drummond would re-sign with New York for all the the reasons you you outlined earlier. And so like I I don't I'm not I'm not rooting for an Andre Drummond to New York trade we'll say that yeah i mean to me like i do think it it would be smart for the pistons to do well by andre not necessarily that you know he has to end up where you know his where he wants to be or whatever right. right but don't send him to the siberia i like that <laughs> but yeah i mean get a get a pick right because i mean as long as you're dealing with blake Griffin, griffin's contract there's a limit on the extent of your rebuild so so give me a pick that's a year or two from now um, you know, that's my opinion. Let's, let's be realistic about the fact that it's going to take us a while to rebuild this franchise. Right. And, and no single young player is going to, you know, going to pull it off in a Andre Drummond trade. No, absolutely. All right, Ben, uh, the Pistons are 14 and 26. They play the also 14 and 26 New Orleans Pelicans on Monday. They play the Boston Celtics on Wednesday, and then they play the Atlanta Hawks on Saturday. How many games do the Pistons lose this week? <laughs> so, okay. So what's Zion's timetable? Cause I keep seeing these little Twitter videos of him, you know, uh, in his warmups, just mad hops. So he's not playing, I assume against the Pistons. Is that fair? I think that they want to get him some more five on five time yeah. in practice. So I don't think he will play on Monday. No. Yeah, so the Pelicans still suck. So there's a chance the Pistons could win that one. Right. Um, Celtics, well, we got to count that as a loss. Um, Hawks, well, maybe if Andre Drummond's traded to the Hawks by then, the Pistons could lose that one. Otherwise, that feels like it could be a win. So there's a chance the Pistons go two and one. There's a chance they go one and two. Um, I I think they got to, they probably beat the Hawks without any trades. They're going to lose to the Celtics. So yeah, one, one and two is probably about what we can hope for. Yeah, I think, I think one and two is the play, but Ben, you're missing out. The, 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 you play Andre against the Hawks on Saturday. Let him put up like thirty and thirty, and okay. then 
and then the Hawks trade <laughs> for it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going go. full Andre Drummond ISOs. Forget, <laughs> forget how many shot attempts it takes, but get him that thirty and twenty or whatever. It was like, did did he score thirty points and you guys lose? Like that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can be done with that. I can I can live I can live with that. Steve Henson's going to have an aneurysm if that happens. <laughs> Well, he'll he'll be happy that Dre's gone, no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ben. uh, Let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, uh, where they can uh, talk to you about the the uh, promising state of the University of Michigan college basketball team. Yeah, yeah. Tough loss today against Minnesota. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not convinced Michigan's top twenty five team. They've got some amazing wins under their. on their resume for the season, but I think they kind of, they kind of snuck up on some folks to get those early in the season. I mean, top 40 team. Yeah. Top 25, not too sure. Uh, at BR Gulkers where you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, comments of the podcast post. You can always let me know there what you think as well. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say I watched it. The Michigan loss was not, it was better than the, uh, Michigan state loss to Purdue this uh this afternoon oh did they end up losing as well i fell Uh, old man ben fell asleep so no i watched the first half of that game they were down like 24 at uh, and at points during the first half it was uh, some of the ugliest basketball i've ever seen i i hate college basketball so much because it it can get so ugly so quickly and there's nothing you can do but throw your hands up and say like well these are 19 year old kids like it, it is what it is but anyway, if you want to hear me uh, rant and rave about how the Spartans are ranked top 10 but don't look like a top 10 team, you can do so on Twitter at Last Chance. It's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. All right, this has been the Detroit Piston or the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week.